This is an AMI podcast. Have you ever wanted to find out some of the things we do and say on commercial breaks? Well, you're about to hear some things you've never heard before on the neutral zone. Be warned, as the saying goes on our show, you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Viewer discretion is advised. We'll do it live. Okay. No. We'll do it live from AMI headquarters in the center of it all. Holy moly! This the most senior, unbelievable, is the most amazing, sensational, dramatic in history. The neutral zone. Oh my goodness! I gotta say, if you're not pumped up for the neutral zone, listening to that intro would. Hopefully make you pumped up for the neutral zone because certainly for me every time that that intro comes on It's like okay. It's go time. It's uh, 11 o'clock. Let's do the neutral zone joining me this week is uh, Dave Recovina in the Toronto studios and of course Jeff Ryman But joining us in London a guy you'd be familiar with on Kelly and company from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern is the one the only Kelly McDonald gentlemen. How we doing? I'm jacked, I'm pumped up, I'm ready to go. I didn't even need that intro. First of all, I haven't been here in a couple of weeks, so I missed all you guys. Second of all, I'm so jacked up about the agenda for this show, I could start firing chairs around, knock these mics off the table, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a good thing, Brock, that only you and I are in the studio this week and that Kelly is in London. Otherwise, people might have got hurt. Wow. Wow. What are you most fired up about this week? Everything. You name it, I'm ready I to go. I, I cannot wait for your opinion on Edmonton. This is this is going to be a good one. All right. Me too. He's going to be really fired. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kelly comes in with the, the doing, good morning. Yeah. Uh, I like the energy, Dave. That's the way to go. We'll get into that. We'll be like really drawing on that a little later on. Uh, All right. No, no kidding. Bring it on. Yeah, I, thought he, I thought he was ready to rumble. That's yeah. what I thought he was getting at. Hey, getting fired up for the Royal Rumble tomorrow night, eh? Who do you, you think's going to win it? Oh. Ah. I couldn't even call. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not Enough a wrestling of a fan, guy. Right? Too so bad I would never. I'd be I'd look stupid. Too bad. Too bad Brett wasn't here. We could have a good conversation about that. Yeah, who are you calling? I'm going to say John Cena pulls it out and, and uh, headlines WrestleMania one more time. Uh, there you go. Yeah, no, I, I grew up watching WrestleMania, and then as I got into my teen years, I thought I'm not interested, and for some reason, just never gravitated to it back. Jeff, are you I, a wrestling? I used to love the drama. I, I used to really love it. Yeah, but that was back in like total WWF days. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was a bit of a wrestling fan back in the day, but not not so much anymore. I've, I've sort of veered away from it. Although if it's on TV, sometimes I'll just uh, leave it on because a lot of the times, especially on the weekends, if you're watching uh, like a sports program, I think on the Score or, or Sports yes, 360, 360. Yes, sometimes yeah, after their their highlight shows, it'll just transition right into wrestling. And yes. sometimes I'll just leave that on and and sort of watch it. But I haven't watched it in a while. Dave, you remember how big the cage stuff was when it started? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just used to really enjoy But I, I really actually liked back in the day, the Mouth of the South. Uh, you know, Those were the days. Oh, it was so soap opera. You know, I, I to me, still, one of my favorite clips was the very first Slammy Awards they did. It was back in the mid-'80s, and uh, there was this one clip uh, with, uh, it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the King Harley Race, and race was managed by Bobby Heenan at the time. Oh, yeah. So these guys, they start off fighting in the bottom of this hotel building someplace. Like, they start in the boiler room. And the fight continues all the way to the top floor of this hotel and culminates at this formal gathering where, if you remember Jim Hacksaw, Duggan, he always mm-hmm. had the two-by-four. Yep. He, he'd, he'd come in and he'd, oh, you know. And so, anyway... They crash through this door of this formal event. You got these guys in their tuxes and the ladies are in their long gowns. And you get these two morons in their wrestling trunks. They they just break through the door and there's a food fight in there. And Gorilla Monsoon, God bless him, he's doing the commentary. And he's like, go on, Axa, give it to that no good piece of trash. Throw him out the window, that kind of thing. It was just, to me, it's still... 
even though that had to be 25 or 30 years ago. That still was one of the best clips I've ever seen. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's still on YouTube someplace. I would think so. Amazing theater, though, back oh, then. Oh, it was. Uh, even it if was. It just they were being just interviewed, yeah. it was amazing. A lot of stuff, though, that now you'd say you couldn't do it in an interview or say yeah. you still, yeah. but it, it was classic. The, uh, the other good one, too, I mean, I don't want to spend the whole segment on WWE, but uh, back leading up to the first WrestleMania uh, when they had Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy Piper and Mr. T and whatnot. And uh, there was one, they were at Madison Square Garden, and Piper claims he did this painting of Mr. T, and he unveils it in the middle of the ring. And then he starts to imitate a monkey, you know, how, you know, the old, you know, how you'd uh, yes. scratch your armpits kind of thing, you know, yep. and skulk around. Well, Mr. T became enraged, and they ended up fighting all the all throughout Madison Square Garden as well. And, uh, I mean, it was just classic stuff. I mean, today that would be so politically incorrect, but uh, it, it was entertaining back in the day, I will say that. It's one of those, and I think that's, for me, what turned me away from it, was mm-hmm. that it's just so um, storylined now. Like, it, I, I think that that's just, for me, what I'm just like, yeah, but you know what's going to happen. You can mm-hmm. feel it. I just thought when I grew up, it was more... You didn't know there was more suspense, and today I just... Well, we, we would make that accusation about it being staged, fake, you know, who who could do that physically? You'd hurt somebody, you'd break their this and that. It's almost like they rode the wave of, of the accusations of fake. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, and I guess that's... That's, that's what you got to do, right? Yeah, right. yeah. And and for like a lot of people, it made them something. Look at Mr. T. As much as he was bodyguarding people mm-hmm. in L.A., this that that really made that man. That plus the A team, yes. All right, so Jeff, you were at an event, and you have some audio clips yeah. you're going to share with us. Yeah, exactly. So I was at a an event that we put on here uh, in Toronto. It was down at the Miles Nadal Jewish Community Center. It was for a uh, little meet and greet with a couple of Paralympians from Mindset Go, which is going to be uh, debuting its season number two on AMI-tv this Wednesday, January 30th at 8 o'clock Eastern time. A Paralympian with a Canadian trying to make a lifestyle change in terms of uh, trying to get their, their health back on track. Uh, so I got to sit down with a couple of Paralympians. And the first one I got to speak to was Pamela Jean. So I'm here with uh, Pamela Lejean from uh, Mindset Go. And the first thing I want to ask you is how did you get involved with this show? Like how were you approached? Um, the team emailed me and thought that I might be a good fit for the program. And I was super excited about it because I love TV and I love, um, you know, getting my name out there as much as possible because I would love to have a career in media someday. Um, and I also love like health, fitness, wellness in general. So I thought this is a great fit for me. Yeah. And obviously uh, being a Paralympian, you just mentioned you love health and, uh, having a healthy lifestyle. Have you ever trained anybody before like this? I have never trained anyone like this, so um, I felt um, out of my element for sure. I kind of felt like a little bit of a hypocrite because I, I like eating Cheetos, and <laughs> and so it's like I, you know, I don't always eat the healthiest as well. Like I, I, I like to think that it's a healthy balance. Um, so when someone like Danielle is working toward a weight loss goal. I think that I know how to give advice, but I don't always follow my own advice. So my mom would say, do as I say, not as I do. So I thought, I'll just keep that in mind and, you know, give the advice that my trainers give me, my nutritionists give me, um, and what I know is right. But also, I kind of felt a little bit of a hypocrite sometimes, too. (laughs) What type of message do you think the show sends to the audience? Um... That's a tough question. <laughs> um, I think maybe, I think it's good to draw inspiration from every area that you can. And um, I like that it puts a spotlight on Paralympians um, where I think Olympians have a lot of focus. I think there's a lot of focus that can go on um, the Paralympics where I think a lot of focus is on the Olympics. So um, I'm glad that um, you guys chose to put a spotlight on the Paralympics. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think so. So that was Pamela Lejean. She is a, a track and field para-athlete. 
and uh, I got to speak with her at the great event down in Toronto. And then I also got to catch up with somebody who uh, we may be a little bit more familiar with. He's the uh, captain of the Canadian para ice hockey team, Greg Westlake. And he spoke to me about a new show. He was on Mindset Go uh, the season, the first season, but he was also... Uh, going to be debuting on a new show that's going to be coming up on AMI-tv very shortly called Level Playing Field. And I also asked him about his uh, playing career with uh, the Canadian national team. Transitioning to another TV show here is uh, Level the Playing Field, which is going to debut uh, in just a week or so. Um, can you sort of give us a little bit of a, a rundown on that show and your involvement? Yeah, Level Playing Field. I'm excited about it. It's, um, you know, I, ju- I, I think it's important... <laughs> to say this but I only do things I want to do I, I don't do stuff for TV I get nervous man I get nervous on TV I get nervous on radio um, I fall in love with concepts and I love this concept level playing field it, it's I do I, I say all the time I, I don't have a crazy story I didn't have cancer I didn't beat that I wasn't in a crazy accident I was just born with an abnormality that led to the amputation of both my feet um, which to the average person seems like a lot but you know, I've met so many people that have incredible stories. And I spend most of my time in the Paralympic realm being a storyteller for other people. Talking about my teammates who have beat cancer. Talking about people who have gone through all these incredible life-changing experiences and come out the, the other side a better person. And, and so now all of a sudden I get that opportunity through Level Playing Field to be a storyteller. And to talk about emerging Paralympic athletes. Uh, people who are making a difference in their communities and uh, on all these things. And so that's what excites me about it is the opportunity just to be a storyteller for people that are making a difference. And that's a role that I'm very comfortable in. And obviously you're uh, the captain of the para-ice hockey team. Can you sort of give us uh, a little bit of a rundown of what's coming up for you guys uh, in the next couple of months? Yeah, I mean, so I'm actually taking this year off right now. Uh, so I'm not the captain, just a big fan right now. Um, but, you know, I know that they have a world championship coming up this year in the Czech Republic. I'll be watching that. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, it's, it's a long, slow build. Uh, but you got to take it serious for the next four years to get to those next Paralympic Games in China. And, uh, you know, I know how things ended for us in Korea. You know, we, we were, you know, about as close as you can get to a gold medal without getting it. And I know that that doesn't sit well with a lot of guys on the team. Uh, they have so many good young athletes on that team right now that um, – it's fun to watch the progression of the sport. You know, I encourage anybody, if they have an opportunity to see Team Canada play live right now, I'm super impressed with with the athletes right now, That just the level of some of these 22-year-olds coming in. It's it's insane. And uh, so, yeah, just just go check it out, support the team, and, and, you know, really just keep supporting the Paralympics. All right, perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. And with that, we're going to take a break here on the Neutral Zone. We're going to come back and discuss have a conversation with uh, Becky Jordan, who's going to be uh, participating at an event coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. And so we're going to talk about that and much, much more on the other side of the break here on the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Dave Recavina and Kelly McDonald of, of course, Kelly and Company. Kelly, this must be uh, a little bit challenging for you because you're normally in the host chair and today you're a co-host. Oh, it's always nice just to ride along, kind of, and, and especially on this show. When I've been on here, Brock, it's wonderful to sit back, learn about things as usual, but also just to chat sports. Yes, we know you're a big uh, sports lover. And coming up later on, we're going to get Kelly and Dave to talk a little bit of baseball because the two of them just absolutely love baseball. Uh, But for now, we're going to speak with um, Becky Jordan, who's going to be competing at the 2019 Parasport Games as a para-ice hockey player. Becky, thank you for joining us this morning. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Excellent. So, can you start by telling us how you got involved with sledge hockey? Um, yeah. So, one of my really good friends, her older brother, was playing sledge hockey. And I just moved to Peterborough, and I was looking for a sport to join. And she just kind of told me that it would be a good opportunity for me to come out and try it. So, I went out for one night and tried it, and I just really enjoyed playing, and it made me really happy. So, then I've continued on. 
Uh, hi, Becky. It's David here. Uh, for hi. the listener that's familiar, you know, familiar with sledge hockey, uh, or that's not familiar, I should say, uh, can you give us a brief rundown of the differences uh, between, say, regular ice hockey and sledge hockey? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you're sitting in the sled, but aside from that, uh, you know, describe the apparatus involved and, uh, you know, how the puck, if you will, is moved, uh, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, like, the biggest difference for me when I hold, like, a, a stand-up hockey stick, it's a lot different, like, stick-wise. Mm-hmm. You have a lot more room to have the puck on your stick when you're in the sled just because it's your full stick is on the ice rather than just having, like, the one edge. So I think it's a lot different. Um, it When I try to play stand-up, it's just a lot different trying to get the puck where it is because you think you have a lot more room. Um, that's a big difference. And I think the other thing is just being super close to the ice. It's just a completely different thing based on how far away from the ice you are and kind of sitting in the sled is a lot different. And um, there's a few penalties that are different. Um, You have the T-boning penalty, which is just a sledge penalty. And um, I think it's just, it's the same rules basically, but it's just a lot different compared to, you know, the sick, the penalties, the the picks on the stick of course that's a big difference um that's how you move basically and and Um, i guess the picks would be quite a bit shorter than your traditional hockey stick would that be correct yeah the sticks are probably about a quarter of a stand-up stick oh okay i didn't realize that much of a difference oh yeah they're quite quite small becky went when you're talking the kind of the the penalty, some of them are are almost it's Kelly by the way here uh, the nature of of being in the sled and that isn't it when you talk about things like the t and and moving around. I'm, I mean, I'm sure people can do the things intentionally if they wanted, but uh, as you're right. saying, you're moving fast, you're spinning, you're doing things, and some of them end up just kind of happening. I'm sure sometimes. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's a lot of the time t-boning is unintentional just because people in the sleds know how dangerous it is for you to intentionally T-bone someone just because of like how it, when you hit the impact of it is very dangerous for someone. So T-boning is definitely not something that people usually do intentionally. Sometimes it just happens, you know, you can't stop or you just, someone turns in front of you and you just didn't see that they were going to turn. And it's T-boning is usually never intentional just because of how dangerous it is when you get that impact on your side and it really jars your body. So it's definitely not something that is, an intentional hit it's not like kind of like a boarding or something like that that's more of someone intentionally just kind of pushing someone but with t-boning it's definitely one of the things that we're working towards not having it happen because it's it's a big it's a dangerous thing right okay uh brock was uh mentioning that you're going to be involved in the 2019 para sport games which come up in i think the week of the february 10th area february 8th 10th yes. can you tell us a little bit more about that event um i think it's just it's a really really awesome opportunity for people like myself and athletes like that it's a really good thing it's a really cool thing for us to be involved in and i think it's a good opportunity for people who are wanting to or who are aspiring to be in like the paralympics and stuff like that it's it's just kind of a step down from the Paralympics for me personally. Um, I think it's a really, it's a really cool thing to be a part of. And it's not just sledge hockey. It's uh, all the sports. There's um, like basketball, volleyball. It's, it's a big thing. So it's a tremendous showcase, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Can you give us an idea, Becky, of the uh, tournament schedule for that Uh, event? Yeah. So we play on um, Friday. That's our first game against, uh, I believe, the Central team. And um, I think then we have the opening ceremonies, which I'm pretty excited about because I think it's a it's going to be a really cool thing to be a part of. Um, and we have a game. I think we have two games on Saturday. Um, and then the Sunday is just kind of depending on how you like what your standings are. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of how the tournament is going for us. And, and this is all in Durham region. Where are you guys holding the tournament? Um, it's at the Whitby, um, Iroquois center. That's where our sledge games are. Awesome. And, and is there a game on the schedule that you know now that you're really looking forward to? 
Um, I would say the one on Friday against our central team. Um, I play a lot of the people in regular season. So I, I'm interested to see, because for us personally, the biggest difference between our regular season games and this is that um, we don't know any, like we know of the people, but this isn't our regular team. So we're having people from a bunch of different teams come and play on one team and higher levels than myself. So I'm playing with people who are in intermediate, like C division, and then there's me who's at intermediate. So it's a lot of different skill levels and people that I've never played with before. So I think it's a really cool opportunity to be a part of because I've never played with people and it's going to be a whole new kind of team. And to watch like people who've never played together come together and succeed in the tournament, I think it's going to be really cool if, you know, like we just work together as a team, like not ever meeting before and then having a tournament and just really like connecting on the team, I think it's a really cool thing. Becky, you kind of uh, answered a lot of what I was just going to ask you. I was going to ask you, actually, about uh, how tournament play differs from, uh, say, your regular season games with the Kawartha Blazers, I believe, is is the team you play in the regular season with. Tell us a bit about the Blazers, and then uh, after that, um, uh, well, I guess, too, uh, another question I was going to ask was, uh, say, tournament play, would you liken that, say, to going into the playoffs with the Blazers? Um, I think that for the Blazers, I think it's a really, I I just love the team so much. It's always been, we've been together for a really, really long time. Um, We've all moved up together. So it's kind of been one of those things where we've all stuck together as a team. It's never, um, like sometimes we do separate as like people get older, they just have to move up to the intermediates. But for us, it's, it's pretty much a big family. Like we've all just really like, it is definitely a family. Like for the Blazers, it's, very very inclusive like it's it's a really good thing to be a part of because of just how much of not only are we a hockey team but we really are like a hockey family and I think that's probably the best thing about a sport is to be fully connected with your teammates and not have any type of like you know it's not just a game to us it's it's really important to us because it's a way for people like myself to be able to play a sport and to be able to you know do well have fun and it's just it's a really awesome thing to be a part of like the course of Blazers is definitely an amazing team to be on. I think you speak for a lot of uh, para athletes when you speak about, you know, the, the feeling, the family, when you spend months and months with these people, it, you're right. It, it's not just a game, even though the end result is what the end result is, but you really right. want to be successful with that team because you've worked so hard to get to where you're going. So Yeah, it definitely, it's definitely one of the things where it's, you know, it's it's it is a game, but it's just it's more than that. Because when you succeed with people and you do well with people who mean a lot to you, and you watch how when you have someone new on the team that's a young a young kid, and you see how happy they are when you win, and it's really watching other people be happy for what you've all accomplished. I think is yeah. something that's really really important and really like enlightening to see how it affects certain people. I think that there's a lot of kids on the team who the sport means so much to them just because they this is their sport this is what they they play and I think it's very important to watch people who you know it it just changes people it definitely changes like kids like you will see a kid come out on the ice and start to play sledge hockey and then find you know how happy it makes them and their their emotions just completely change Becky very very well said very well uh put very well illustrated I want to take the time on behalf of everybody here at the Neutral Zone to wish you the best of luck, and we hope that everything goes well, and maybe we'll have you on uh, shortly after the tournament uh, to find out how things went. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. That was Becky Jordan, who's going to be going to the 2019 Para Sport Games, and she's going to be playing para ice hockey. So, yeah, again, Rock, it's, a, it's quite a whole event out there, that tournament in for for a sledge for everything being put on display, uh, can encourage people to to look it up online. And any 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 harder, just check it out. There's sports for everyone involved. What a showcase! Yeah, and the really cool thing about it is the athletes. Like like you say, they're all together. Like I'm gonna go there for bocce. Uh, full disclosure, I'll be there. But some of the most of the events, it's your own sport. And so this is a unique one where everybody's kind of mingling in the same kind of area. We all have things that. You know, we share in common. It's a great, great event, much similar to the Paralympic Games, although on a much smaller 
scale. So going to be a great event. Uh, look it up and follow results, and it'll be a great time. On that note, we're going to take a break on the neutral zone. We're going to come back, and I believe this is going to be the first segment where Dave is going to uh, get really fired up about uh, Peter Shirelli. At least I hope he does, anyways. Uh, and much, much more. But we'll start with the Peter Shirelli thing and then move towards the All-Star uh, game and break. All that, much more, coming up right after the break here on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Kelly McDonald and David Recavina, and of course, Jeff Ryman, who I can actually see in the control room, because <laughs> it was mentioned earlier that our manager of AMI Audio uh, did some Windex on the, on the window, and I can actually see Jeff Ryman's face behind... The oh. glass. It's I thought you were going to comment that there was no big head in your way or something like that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> just no. one in the control room. I, I just can actually see Jeff. Usually it's uh, it's a little foggy, and I got to dodge the whatever marks are on the window. So well done, Andy Frank, on the uh, Windex job. Like they say, he's got the skills to pay the bills. That's why he's a manager. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> so I. Uh, Hesitate to say this because I'm almost positive the boys are listening to this show, but I hesitate to say this. The first thing I said to Dave today was, man, is it weird not having one of the boys or is it just quieter? So we're having fun without you boys, but we will uh, welcome you back next week. Uh, Actually, speaking of next week, before we move any further, we are going to be on location um, starting, I believe, at 10 a.m., with the Gazette, Jeff's going to be, uh, he's nodding, so Jeff's going to be manning the Gazette from the uh, Miles Nadal Jewish Community Center, and then from uh, 10 to 11, that's going to be happening, and then, of course, the boys from the zone, myself, Dave, and Cam are going to uh, come on, and then uh, from 1 to, Kelly, you might have to help me out on this one, 1 to 3 or 1 to yep. 4? 1 to 3. 1 to 3. 1 to 3, you'll have uh, Kelly McDonald and, of course, Remy Amuthan doing an AMI-audio live presentation. So uh, if you can't get out to the Miles Nadal Jewish Community Center, we got you covered all day um, here on AMI-audio. So uh, check AMI's website. I'm sure you can uh, go on there and check out more details if you uh, didn't get a pen and paper to write it all out. So all that coming next week, and uh, we look forward to it. AMI.ca slash WCW. 2019, I believe that's right. I'm going off the top of my head. Don't have the sheet in front of me. There you go. So check that out and come down and say hi. We're going to be around. Uh, Andy Frank uh, told us there'd be lunch, so we'll be around uh, a little bit uh, before and a little bit after. So come down, say hi, and uh, we'd be happy to introduce ourselves to you and the listener out there. All right. Now that that housekeeping is uh, taken care of, uh, let's talk a little bit of hockey. Now, Peter Shirelli has kind of been on the bubble for, I'd say, a better part of a year and a half. People have started talking about whether he should leave or whether he should stay. And finally, after they lost uh, the game just before the All-Star break, which I believe was against Calgary? No, no, Detroit. Detroit. They lost to Detroit. Uh, right before the All-Star break, and then hours later you heard he was fired. Dave, I'll start with you. Thoughts, surprise, what's your thoughts? That whole situation surprised me uh, in the sense, if you go right back to when uh, Peter was first hired by the Oilers, he had been fired by the Bruins. Uh, You may recall he was the Bruins general manager and was GM there when uh, they last won their Stanley Cup. I think it was 2011, if my memory serves me correctly. Anyway, um, 
But things deteriorated in Boston. I, I, it was a bit of a surprise because everything was kind of kept hush-hush at the time. But then you, you kind of saw things evolve over the time Shirelli was uh, the Oilers' general manager. And primarily he was let go in Boston because of salary cap mismanagement. And at the time he left, I think the Bruins may have even been over the cap with a team that had been exposed uh, that year in the playoffs by Montreal uh, as kind of a slow, slow-footed, older type operation, and Shirelli was still, I think, you know, dining off the laurels of the previous Stanley Cup win, which had been a couple of years earlier, and that ran afoul with Bruins owner Jeremy Jacobs, who's probably one of the more hands-on owners in the National Hockey League. Uh, along with Cam Neely, uh, who kind of, I guess, I don't know if he's formally the CEO of the Bruins or not, but uh, he has a large say in things there as well. And uh, anyway, the two of them decided that it was time to make a move in the general manager's chair. And then what was interesting after that, I think it was within a week or two, maybe two weeks at the most, and quite possibly less than that, uh, Shirelli is hired by the Edmonton Oilers. And I think they, uh, you know, I think they made that move largely on reputation more than anything else. And I don't think there was, you know, looking back at it, um, and it would be interesting the one day, if you ever would talk about it uh, publicly, it would be interesting to hear Peter's reflections. Uh, you know, did he go into the Oilers job too soon without taking some time to reflect on what went wrong with the Bruins? And, you know, what could he do better in his next job? Because I think the sins he was guilty of in Boston, I think, were much more magnified in Edmonton and and along with the trades that were made. I think it hastened his demise. Um, You get talking environment. We hear a lot about how it was not good there. I mean, Connor McDavid seems quite happy, but he's your star. You make him happy. Uh, especially since he knows he's dug in there for for an eight, with an eight year contract, but when you start hearing people are just unhappy, and you have a base of subscribers that are not Toronto companies buying and up up the the season tickets, you've got actual citizens, you've got a, a, an ownership group that are hockey fans, not just uh, bean counters that are just seeing how much expense the team is going to be. You start getting any negative from the other people playing in the team, coaching, and within that that hierarchy even, or the lower part of the hierarchy, it's poison. And I think, Dave, as you say, if he had looked back, saw what was starting to happen in Boston, figured out for himself, and I think that's a lot of it with us, we we figure out for ourselves, what am I doing wrong? What, What do I either do to rub the wrong way? What could I be doing better? I think if you also are good at seeking opinions from around your colleagues around the league or your equals, at least that helps. Here's my, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my thought and then I'm going to pose a question from a listener that I was asked uh, two days ago, if I could bring up and I'm going to do it. But if, if you are the Edmonton Oilers and you're right, Connor McDavid's, you know, probably happy because he's got an eight year deal. But he has started in the last little while to cry out and say, if people aren't going to be here for the right reasons, then trade them away. Mm. Because I want to build a team here. I want to be successful. They've had a ridiculous number of first-round draft picks that it just hasn't gone anywhere. And it's about time that Edmonton really does something positive with what they've had because they should have been in the playoffs a lot more than what they have in the last five, six years. I mean, they've been through like five coaches or something in the last, you know, 10 years, which is nuts to me. Uh, the the listener um, posed this question, and it comes from Adam Dukovic, and he's he's asking, do you guys think that general managers that have been around a long time can adapt to today's NHL? Meaning that are you building the right team to compete in today's NHL, he's worried that GMs are building teams from five, ten years ago. Hmm. Sure, you can. I'll yep. I'll answer that question, and I think it's uh, pretty simple. Lou Lamorello, how long has he 
been around for. He's adapted. He's clearly done some great things, obviously, with the New Jersey Devils for quite some time. And then he adapted over to Toronto for the last couple of years. And now, obviously, in uh, New York with the Islanders. And if you look at, if you take a look at what he's done with the Islanders over the, the short period of time he's been there, he's really turned things around. And uh, the Islanders have really surprised some people this year. And I really like the direction that their team is going in. Without John Tavares. Without John Tavares. <laughs> yeah. And they have Matthew Barzell. I thought they've drafted exceptionally. Even just from this last year's draft, I thought the Islanders probably had the best draft out of anybody in the NHL. So just from Lou Lamorello, I think that it is possible. But I think some GMs just don't want to change their ways. And we've seen that before with Brian sure. Burke, who's now uh, an analyst on Sportsnet, who I think is very opinionated, uh, is a great analyst. But as a GM, I think he's sort of the that type of GM you wanted maybe 10, 15 years ago. Mm. And the same sort of thing, I think, goes for Peter Shirelli, where he's sort of stuck in the past. He was with that big, truculent, uh, same sort of system as Brian Burke, where he just wants big guys. So he went out and signed Milan Lucic to that horrible deal that Edmonton has to suffer through for the next couple of years. So I think it's a yes and no type of question where I think the, the smarter GMs will learn to adapt, but some of them, they just don't, I think they're a little bit stubborn and don't want to change the way they, they think. It's right. a personality thing. Yeah, you know, you, you'd mentioned about Brian Burke and what was uh, I, what I thought was very interesting. Uh, the other day I was watching Sportsnet, I was watching Hockey Central on Sportsnet and Burke was on. And he was asked flat out, uh, you know, would you apply for the Edmonton job? And Burke said no, no. Now, he didn't go into the same detail, but just his tone of conversation and everything he said around that question being asked... I'll give him credit. I think he realized that, uh, you know, his style or or how he would like to build a team would not fare well in today's NHL. Mm -hmm. I hope so. I hope so. Your thoughts, do you think that GMs can adapt? Or as Jeff said... Is it really fair to put everybody in the same? No, you, you can't put everyone in the same. Their their personalities. I think what Dave just said about Burke, if he's looked at, looked at himself in retrospect and said, no, this wouldn't be a fit for me because I need that control. Whether it's control a person needs, whether they have an old way of thinking, whether they don't embrace analytics, and and we we see so many people. That's part of the way to go. I personally think. Talking and being open and not letting your ego rule as if you have to have all the answers or all the answers have to come from you. I think talking to people and having your friends, whether they are working with another team even, I think that's really the guys who can do that, listen to their players, listen to their coaches, but make a firm decision. I don't mean be watery, but make your firm decision. Getting back to the Oilers situation too, what really uh, hit me was about a year ago, when Andrew Ference went public. Now, Andrew was a cog on the Bruins' blue line when they won the Stanley Cup in 2011 with Peter Shirelli as GM. And uh, Shirelli acquired Ference from the Bruins, I think, to add some veteran presence to the Oiler blue line and the locker room. And I, I thought his comments were very pointed in the sense that he said the cult, basically the uh, the locker room stinks and the culture, there there is none there. And uh, there's just too much individualism and everyone seems to have their own agenda. And until that's cleaned up, this team is going nowhere. Now, Oiler management tried to dampen that. But and I think his comments, a lot of his comments were directed. I got the sense at Taylor Hall, uh, which I, I thought was interesting, but among others. And, and that leads me to believe that maybe the Oilers' drafting was based more on talent alone as opposed to really delving in a player's character. I, you know, unless you're on the inside, you'll never know that for sure. But that's the sense I get. Who's the next guy up? And I'm going to put one on the table first. But to me, the next guy that might want to consider it is the guy in London, and that would Hunter. be Hunter. Yeah. Um, there are some other thoughts. Anyone else got any name? They yeah. want to throw out there? It's going to be hard, but I think Kelly McCrimmon definitely deserves to uh, at least have a shot at Edmonton, although a lot of people have him tied to Seattle because of what he's done with Vegas. So he might just wait an extra year or two and go with Vegas or uh, Seattle, rather. Um, but I really like what he's done. But uh, I, I just don't know if he's going to leave Vegas for Edmonton. It's kind of a sticky situation 
in Edmonton. So it's going to take a lot for somebody to go apply for that job, I think, because they're, I feel like they're, they're too far out now from a rebuild and you're going to have to do some patchwork. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to be a coveted position as well, because whenever you have the best player in the world in your organization, it's always fun to sort of play around with that aspect of it. But uh, I would like to see Kelly McCrimmon potentially get a, a shot, but I think you're right. Mark Hunter, maybe, maybe uh, be able to get a shot, but I, I think he'd be almost even more suited for a team like Seattle as well, maybe going in as an assistant GM or maybe even the GM because uh, he's obviously very good with prospects. And whenever you're starting up an organization, usually that's great if you have uh, one of those master scouters, if you will. I also... Go ahead. Then the Kelly. problem with Edmonton, right? They they haven't really done well drafting. Mm-hmm. They don't have that the eyes looking out there and scouting, and the cap is going to be an issue. Yeah, I was in London at the London Knights game, and there was a lot of discussion last night about the future of Mark Hunter. And the vibe that I got was, why in the heck would Mark Hunter? Give it another go. He's in the yeah. mecca of the OHL. He's making boatloads of money. He's talent spinning out of there like you wouldn't believe. Why would he even touch it? So from London directly, that is the viewpoint of people that are in suits, that are like involved. Because I was sitting up with some of those people yesterday, and I did. I said, you know, I host a sports show. I want to know what your thoughts are here. And they said... I don't know if he wants to take it. The other name that I want to throw out there just quickly before we wrap, Steve Eiserman. Does he want to crack at this job? Mm, good no. question. No. Um, Kelly's saying no. No, Why? I don't think so. Yeah. I think he wants to stay doing what he does. He's had a great circumstance before that. And if he's, you know, these guys that we're talking they don't want headache. They're used to people listening, people having a very high hockey IQ. And if the people above don't have it, they're just fans and go with their gut too much, that's not enough of an IQ for someone to want to work under. I think Eiserman sits at home in Detroit until uh, Ken Holland leaves the Red Wings and then watch mm-hmm. Eiserman go. I agree. I think uh, a lot of people have have him tied to taking over in Detroit after the year. But I think if I'm Edmonton, I'd try to throw everything I could to try to lure Eiserman to Edmonton. I feel like he's one of the brighter hockey minds in the world right now. And I think that he can really put his brain power and his hockey sense to work in Edmonton and turn that organization around in the next couple of years. But I agree with Dave. I think uh, he's probably staying in Detroit. And Brock, I have to say, going just back quickly to Mark Hunter, the, the, the situation in London, there's just absolutely, in my opinion, no way. Uh, it's it's the attempts, things were what they were. London is that mecca. And for people who have not ever been down here like yourself, Brock and, and, and Jeff, to really, and Dave, I know you've had the experience being here for hockey. Mm-hmm. This is off the charts. This is, it is. unprecedented throughout North America. I, I call the Budweiser Gardens, I call that, uh, that's that's a mini Scotiabank arena, really. It's yeah. an NHL atmosphere there. Uh, it is the mecca of junior hockey. Just very quickly, I'll give you my opinion on Mark Hunter. I don't think he leaves London unless he has total control of the of a situation. I don't see him going to Edmonton for that reason because I think you've got too many shadows lurking around there that kind of... Uh, very subtly cast a pall on that situation. Uh, McCrimmon, I, I think, would be, if I had to pick one guy, I think he would be my first choice. But does he leave Vegas to go into that zoo up in Edmonton? I don't know. Yeah, you'd have to pay me a lot of money to to go up and deal with that uh, mess that is up there. But it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, moving forward. On that note, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little baseball. Um, Roy Halladay was inducted into the Hall of Fame first ballot going in with nothing on the cap. Get the boys thought on that and uh, we'll see what else happens here on the Neutral Zone when we come back here on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. Stay with us. John Carlson, London Knight, hardest shot. Hardest shot. Patrick Kane, former London Knight. Mm. Hardest or uh, actually no, Patrick Kane didn't win. No, what was he uh, that he did for um, 
was it passing or something? No, he had the uh, puck control. He, he was the That's first right. one Sorry. to go, and, but then Johnny Gajero beat him out by like a second. Wow. Wow. I always like adding up how many London Knights. Yeah. Or London-related. There's, there's a ton of them, man. <laughs> you know, you know. one thing I always enjoyed about going to London was, uh, have you met their uh, broadcast guys uh, from Rogers TV, Greg Sloan and oh. uh, Rick Doyle? I've never, but I didn't even realize Rick was ahead of, of the alumni. Yeah, I didn't he know is. that till recently. Oh, he's he's quite the guy. He's uh, he's quite the man about town down in London. Oh, is he ever? Yeah. He's quite the celebrity. Yeah, he they is, have him on uh, one of the morning shows too every week, and oh, yeah. that talking, and and they just did that huge celebration of alumnus, and it was just huge. Like London was just buzzing with it, because uh-huh. like, Walt McKegney and all those guys oh, came yeah. back. Oh wow! Oh no, they're uh, they're great guys. I, I like those guys. Just the atmosphere in London. Like I've been to three games this yeah. year. Yep. Just like the the feeling, and you do feel like it's a mini ACC, and the reason is is because it's it was made by the same company that did the ACC, so that's yeah, why it yeah. has that yeah. feel, yeah. or the Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, but, but that environment you're talking, and it's been that way forever. Like yeah. baseball, everything, football. My dad, as a football guy, when we came here and he wanted to coach football, and they built this team uh, or the the league up, the minor football. No one was interested. They're only interested in minor hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have enough arenas in London. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Dave Recavina, Kelly McDonald, and Jeff Ryman. Man, sometimes when you get um, all of us in studio, and whether it's the people that are normally here or when you add in an extra and you get us all passionate, the time just flies by. So we're going to... Um, do a little bit of a roundup with baseball. Let's start with the um, uh, recent announcement of Roy Halladay uh, going in as first Hall of Fame ballot. Kelly, I'll start with you. Love it. Um, Obviously, with his death, uh, it speeds it up in in the fact that he's going to be voted in by the writers and, uh, you know, have that kind of uh, immediacy. Uh, have no issue, and I'll put it right out there now because we know the gorillas in the room about him going in with the blank hat, and I don't think that's a problem. Uh, how do you choose? I mean, you can sit here and pick apart time in Toronto, performance uh, of the team at the time, the Phillies. You can see where he went and worked afterward with the Phillies, did a little bit kind of with Toronto. Oh, I'm going to go in, his own words. Um, but his uh, his widow had the decision to make, and in her heart's doing the best thing. And at the end of the day, who cares? It's the person going in, not any team. What was interesting uh, at my end on Thursday, I, I heard a very interesting segment on ESPN radio talking about the Roy Halliday situation. And what was interesting, I don't know who said this. I, I don't know the person's name, but he went back to last year. Now, apparently, even, and I remember reading in the Star, I think it was Toronto Star the other day, where uh, when Roy Halliday was still alive, he said that uh, if and when he got into the Hall of Fame, he would like to go in as a Blue Jay. And apparently, uh, even after his death, his wife was willing to honor that wish. But what happened was, um, in spring training last year, uh, the Phillies were the ones who actually at their very first spring training home opener in uh, Clearwater, they honored Halliday right off the bat as if he had been and acted as if he had been a lifelong Philly. Uh, the Jays were represented by a very, I forget who it was, the person's name was mentioned, but he was a very low-level uh, person and a low-level ranking person in the scouting department. No general manager, no uh, no one of any prominence there. Uh, you know, you'd think Mark Mark Atkins or or his assistant might have shown up. You might have thought uh, maybe Mark Shapiro, but almost no mention of the Blue Jays or no Blue Jay presence there whatsoever. And even though Halliday, I believe he won it. He won a World Series in Philadelphia, didn't he? I believe. Uh, yeah, so. I believe they did. Yeah, the one year I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and and I think, you know, I thought even Halliday retired yet. I think he, you know, still had a lot left in the tank. But, he, you know, he did it the right way, and he retired while he was still somewhat on top. Four great years in Philadelphia. But first and foremost, and I'm not even saying this because I'm a Canadian, but face facts, out of a 16-year career, three-quarters of it was played here in Toronto. I think he should have gone in as a Blue Jay. 
I get the sense the Jays really were almost asleep at the wheel on this one. Uh, question around the table. And I know it might not be an appropriate question at this moment in time. If the circumstance is not what it was, does he get in first time through? Yes or no? I think he no. would have. No, I don't. Don't? Yeah. Us, no. I, 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 no think... I, I respect. I think that the, unfor- the not unfortunately, it's a level of respect for everybody else that, that everyone's voting on. And sorry, Jeff. No, I, I, I disagree. I, I think that he won two Cy Young Awards yes. in different leagues, mm-hmm. eight-time All-Star. Yes. Pitched a perfect game. Um, had over 200 career wins, around a 338 earned run average. I think that's more than enough to uh, get into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Oh, those those numbers are better than a yeah. lot of guys oh, in yeah. the in the Hall of Fame, and that's why I say I think you know, regardless, even if he was still alive, I think he would have got voted in. I I guess I'm gonna be the I'm gonna make this a tie. I'm with Kelly. I think. I think emotions play on people. The guy, the guy passed away. Yeah, his stats were there. Does he deserve to get in a first ballot Hall of Fame? Absolutely not denying that at all. But I think it would have taken him at least a second time to go through if he was still here. So yeah. I think it would have been quicker than a lot of people that are waiting now with legitimate and excellent stats. Um, I think that it's somewhat of a respect thing. Maybe even be affected by the time in Toronto that people miss. Oh yeah, yeah. N- not not sliding Toronto. More so, just forgetting. Just not looking as much at and seeing how many others are polarizing guys from from. You, other you know teams. what's amazing out of all of this as well is you know when you watch ESPN and again we go back to that general American ignorance over Canada. If you listen to ESPN and ESPN alone and you heard them talk about Roy Halladay, you wouldn't think that he ever played in Toronto. You just thought he played 16 years in Philadelphia <laughs> listening to these guys. Yeah, but that's just the way they are. Yeah, it's yeah. been that way, right? My uncomfortable feeling on it was when Roy Halladay had his accident, the Blue Jays went, they put him on the level of, the level of excellence, they did a whole big deal, and part of me just says, is it because you you know he deserves to be there, or are we doing this now because, well, he's passed away and it's it, it's it's been that way? Like the funeral was chosen to happen in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, and I can hear the listener going, "Well, they live in America, blah blah." I, I get all that, but the reality is, the funeral was chosen to do in Philadelphia, and that's. The way why well, I, I just I get uncomfortable with the topic of of you know when it's when it's someone's death I just get really uncomfortable with it. So. Yeah, it's always a complicating For factor, sure. no doubt. Uh, but don't forget too, uh, Tom Cheek was put up on the wall of excellence at the dome uh, pretty soon after he died. Yeah, you are right, but I just again it's an uncomfortable thing. It, it is. It always is. Well, uh, and this speculation is too, and it's just wonderful he's going in. Yes, totally, and that and that's what we need to say is he's going in, and that that's all that matters. It's it's uh, neither here nor there. On that note, that is the end of our show. I'd like to thank Jeff Ryman, uh, Dave Recavina, Kelly McDonald, and of course our manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. I'd also like to thank Matt Agnew. Tune in next week because you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone.